Your source for community, Muskoka-made talk shows are on Muskoka Magazine, The Bay 88.7. Hey, this is Dr. Shervin. Muskoka Magazine is brought to you by Dairy Lane Dental, keeping Muskoka smiling for over 30 years. Please visit DairyLaneDental.com. You're listening to In the Dirt. Okay, welcome to In the Dirt. I'm Laura Thomas. Today, we have a very excited guest joining us. Um, It's Frank DeYoung. Some of you may recognize his name. Um, He is the former leader of the Ontario Green Party, environmentalist, uh, teacher. Um, He's also the host of Muskoka Drawdown on Hunter's Bay, so you may recognize his voice. Today, we're going to talk a lot about carbon in the garden, that kind of idea. So um, thank you very much, Frank, for joining me today. Well, my pleasure, Laura. I I think immediately back, I was raised on a dairy farm north north of Guelph around uh, Arthur, Ontario. And so I had my fingers (laughs) in the dirt uh, since I was a a toddler out in the field, milking cows and throwing bales and gathering eggs. So (laughs) I come by this uh, agrarian uh, past, honestly. Very nice. Um, So yeah, you've just moved to Muskoka or Huntsville recently, so we're very fortunate to have you, and you're a new um, host, sorry, for Muskoka Drawdown. Um, For some of my listeners that maybe don't um, know what Muskoka Drawdown is or what Drawdown is at all, do you want to give a brief overview? Well, okay, you sort of compare it to your bank account. If you draw money out of it all the time, you're going to draw your bank account down. So that's the term that people have given to uh, reducing uh, the amount of CO2 emissions um, to avert climate change. So they're calling it the drawdown. We have to draw down our carbon emissions down to zero effectively, or net zero as some people call it now. So that's where the name comes, Muskoka. Drawdown is to get um, Muskoka off of, uh, off of gas and oil and, uh, and, um, and all other fossil fuels. Yeah, and you're also invo- involved with Climate Action in Muskoka too, which is a similar organization trying to get us to reduce our carbon footprints. Yeah, I'm here um, on behalf of Cli- uh, Climate Action Muskoka, so you should Google them and you can yes. uh, keep an eye on all the articles and interviews and um, videos and things that are on that website. Also, they have on that website, it's called the Carbon Calculator. And so you can punch in your own personal details, how many airplane flights you take, what kind of a vehicle you drive, and your, well, how your house is heated. And you can see how many um, tons of CO2 you, re- you release every year. Now, Canadians are notorious. We're about the worst polluters in the world. <laughs> we produce something close to 20 tons per person, whereas um, Europeans pr- produce about like 10 tons or five tons. And people in India, it's like one ton. So anyway, we have a lot of guilt on our on our conscience <laughs> for that. Yeah, I did a little bit of um, research before the episode, and I saw. Well, it was funny trying to find out what the Canadian carbon footprint is, and I it varied so widely. It was like fourteen to twenty two, um, but that the global um, citizen footprint was like four to seven, and that it needs to re- be reduced to about two. Um, so yeah, that's quite a bit that we need to get well, get in gear. <laughs> I know everyone says, well, of course we live in a cold country, so we have to heat our homes and many countries don't bother with home heating, but there are alternatives now. I mean, people want a warm house, but it doesn't have to use fossil fuels. Even burning wood is carbon neutral. You're not 
producing um, carbon, you're not producing any extra carbon by burning wood because all the trees regrow from where the that wood came from. So what we can use these days is called heat pumps, air sourced heat pumps. You plug mm -hmm. it in and if your electricity is green, which it is more or less in Ontario, if you consider nuclear green, but anyway, <laughs> then um, our uh, you can heat your home with a, a, a air source heat pump, which more and more people are doing and new houses are being installed with this right now. And in fact, Quebec has banned fossil fuel heating in houses starting next year and they all will be air sourced heat pumps. That's amazing. Yeah. So there is a lot of steps like individual steps that we can take um, specifically even in the garden which or our larger landscapes a lot of people look outside and think of the outdoors as being almost like carbon neutral right like there's not a huge impact because it's green so it's obviously sequestering carbon or not being um, negative um, but I've I've done I did a lot of research. I actually went into a bit of a like deep dive wormhole. And there's this phenomenal website um, called Climate Positive Design. And it's all for landscaping. And you can put in your details in your landscape. So say you have um, 100 square feet of like a concrete patio. You plop that in and say 300 square feet of lawn. You plop that in, different plants, different trees. And it gives you your carbon footprint. Um, so it's similar, like Frank, what you were just saying, you can put in your carbon footprint on, um, the climate action Muskoka. This is kind of more of a detailed one. So, I mean, the home user, home user, home resident can use it for sure. Um, but it's great for someone like me that does landscape design. Um, cause we can, you know, showcase people's landscapes as, as being carbon neutral or even better climate um, positive. Exactly. I mean, we all want to be part of the solution because we're in a climate crisis right now. And, uh, you know, we never know any one year to the next, we could end up with um, hundreds of millions or billions of people dead because of, of, of uh, crazy climate action. Uh, there's, there's one theory that like India and Pakistan, they temperatures went up to 50 degrees last year for extended period of time down. People can hardly live in 50 degrees. Now, if it went up to 60 degrees, mm -hmm. we might end up with um, hundreds of millions of people dead in, in one day. And we see that here, like um, in Canada, in Muskoka, the, the floods that we had in 2018, like we used to have those 100-year floods every 100 years, hence the term, 100-year flood, and now they're happening much more frequently. Yeah. Um, and, you know, for anyone that gardens, you know, we're used to being in 4A, 4B, um, but there's lots of people that are quite comfortably growing zone 5 plants now. Um, I know I've, there's someone in Gravenhurst, and I've completely forgotten his name, that is growing a pawpaw tree. And um, he obviously maybe has a little bit of a microclimate. Um, but so, yeah, that climate change is happening. Yeah, I have, um, there's a, a man who lives close to uh, Huntsville, John Riviere Anderson and his wife, Christine. A lot of people know them. They were both former teachers at the high school and they have a permaculture farm there and he has done all these calculations that you're talking about and he knows that he is climate he is carbon positive or whatever you call it carbon negative yeah. he, he sequesters far more carbon than he uses because of the way he he um, organizes the species on his land yeah and it is um it is really important and even if 
you know, you've already done your landscaping. Um, you're not going to maybe rip it out and put something new in because that's obviously maybe not um, going to be any better. But if you are out there planning to do some landscaping, it's just kind of knowing um, what is going to have a larger carbon footprint. I mean, something like concrete, for example, mm-hmm. is massively carbon um, intense. Yes, it, it, <laughs> that's you know, not the right those, word. You know those uh, large wind turbines? Every one of them has a massive block of carbon, I mean, of concrete yeah. in the ground underneath them. It's so <laughs> ironic, to say the least, and obscene, to say the, to say the most. But I mean, you know, wind turbines do pay back the carbon that it takes to build the wind turbine, but it, it takes a while. And then they're, then they're carbon positive after that the other thing is people you know they need to get around but they're not in, in love with with burning gas and diesel so if our governments like if the provincial government would do what quebec and british columbia have done and that's add a subsidy like the federal government has done to uh, to switching to electric cars and people mm-hmm. can get around without using gas and diesel that would be a huge benefit right and i um i was looking at so the um you know, the gas powered tools that we use in our gardens. Um, I mean, some of them are, are horrible. The two stroke motors specifically, they're worse than cars. Um, and I, there, there's a, a stat here. I can't even find it now on my papers, of course. Um, essentially, it is worse than a truck running. Yeah. And so, you know, getting onto. Um, they're everywhere now. Electric battery everything, runs. Everything it's, is battery now for all those tools. I've, Even snow blowers and lawnmowers yeah. and weed snippers and and, um, and 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 leaf blowers. They can all be electric now. And I um, as well. I should. I feel like I should be like an influencer if that's a thing. A promo person for Milwaukee because I outfitted. I we got all electric leaf blowers, weed trimmers, yeah. um, and I have to say, other than it just being better for the environment. So I'm a small person. For me to hand start most gas powered tools is impossible. It was frustrating. I'd be on the job site, be like, I can't get it started, and you're fiddling around with it, um, and it was it, it was massively frustrating. These ones, you just press a little button and you're good to go. So, like, yeah. I love them and so that goes much. Right up to a chainsaws, if you need wood for your stove, you can get an electric chainsaw these days, and you can cut to your heart's yeah. content. I th- I will say so. They're not as powerful. No. So the leaf blowers, particularly, I'm not out there personally blowing a lot of leaves though. Um, so it's not a huge part for my business. But uh, yeah, the gas, the electric. Sorry, the electric stuff's fantastic. Fantastic. So hopefully, you know, people will be more and more buying those products. I don't know. Um, yeah, and it's it was interesting. Other ways that like people could kind of um, offset their carbon footprint in the garden was just things like, you know, ditching annuals over, you know, getting plants don't travel as far, right? Because transportation is a huge part of our carbon footprint. So the products we buy, right, Frank? Like, so do you suggest like uh, purchasing uh, fertilizer, or do you just say well, how do you uh, feed your plants, especially? Um, I always say go organic. Uh, so for synthetic fertilizers, ammonia nitrate is like the most heavenly manufactured product for synthetic fertilizers. I um, mean, it's quite carbon intense or it's you know ammonia or nitrogen in the 
um, atmospheres quite harmful. It's mostly for agricultural, I guess. But I think as we as homeowners, um, if we could just avoid using synthetic fertilizers, um, kind of every drop in the bucket helps, in my opinion. Um, and organic fertilizers are better for the soil. So you create a healthier soil, which is better for your plants. In the Dirt with your host, Laura Thomas, we'll be right back after these messages. By Muskoka for Muskoka, your collection of Muskoka-based talk shows. Muskoka Magazine, The Bay, 88.7. I'm Dr. Shervin from Dairy Lane Dental, and you're listening to Muskoka Magazine. Hello, and welcome back to In the Dirt, a gardening show that takes a more natural approach on why and how we garden in the 21st century. I, I have a, a controversial, something a little bit controversial that I just <laughs> learned yesterday. Um, everyone's getting vaccinated because of COVID, of course. Mm-hmm. And as soon as you're vaccinated, you're, um, the, the COVID has to mutate in order to infect you. So, the, so you're incenting, you're in, encouraging mutations if you're vaccinated. It's similar if you're a farmer and you use pesticides on mm-hmm. your crops, then some of the pests will survive and they will mutate to be immune to the pesticide. Absolutely. So we are in, in effect extending, perhaps extending the COVID pandemic Oh, right. Being infected. Now, how does that? How do that <laughs> the COVID police don't come and take me yeah. away. This episode's going to get canceled. Um, yeah, that's interesting because you do see that in like pest resistance, right? With um, chemicals. I mean, you see that now. Uh, I have kids in school with like head lice, right? That you always hear about head lice. There's yeah. head lice resistance. So I always hear about parents trying to figure that situation out because it's resistant to, I guess, most of the stuff people used to do. Um, so unfortunately, they're stuck with using har- more harmful pesticides. Um, and that's agriculturally or like horticulturally is where we are too, is like we're not thinking, um, you know, how can we have a more integrated approach, more organic? It's like, no, we just need to get harsher chemicals. And Do you talk about companion planting? Um, I do a little. I feel like that applies more for vegetable gardens, um, which I slowly am getting more and more into. um, But I have to fully admit, because whenever people talk to me about it, um, it is my husband that has more expertise and passion for for growing the plants because they're useful, right? He's more of a useful gardener. Um, Not to say that my gardens aren't useful. They just, I I can't eat anything from them. So... (laughs) Yeah. Do you, what about edible landscaping? I think it's interesting. It's definitely really popular. A lot of people come and are looking into like wild foraging, forest gardens. Um, I think in my personal opinion, it's like a nice idea. Um, I'm not really going out into the garden and foraging for winter green or wild ginger or any of those natives. Um, A, because like I love the plants and don't want to rip them up. But I just find, like, culinarily speaking, there's usually better alternatives. Um, I'm not a huge fan sometimes of wild harvesting um, because you look at wild ginseng or wild leeks where they're being over-harvested now, and um, that's a huge problem. So I sometimes don't like supporting that idea. Although collecting dandelion leaves in the spring, they're nice and tender, is an excellent idea. Yeah. No, we do. We have... um, 
wild strawberries that grow on the property everywhere. And we also grow the cultivated kinds. Um, but as anyone that's ever eaten a wild strawberry knows, it's way better. So it's, you know, to have that little tasty treat while you're gardening is fantastic. Um, yeah. Um, so I'm trying to make sure we're good for time. I think we're still good. So when it comes to carbon, um, you know, I think one thing we didn't really talk about was the idea of a carbon footprint, though, and what exactly that is. Well, yeah, the footprint idea is, you know, when you're stomping around <laughs> and if, you're up, you're, if you have big feet, you stomp more wet ants and bugs and grass than if you have small feet. So I guess that's the clear idea. The idea is to get as small a footprint as possible. Right. So um, it's just a, it, it's turning an area like an area measure into a, a, an intellectual concept or a, or a, or a meme. <laughs> and um, no, I would like one of my goals is to be carbon neutral. And you talk to people more and more and they have, well, I already got an electric car and I've put in a heat pump for my house. And now if only I could, I think I, I have two friends who refuse to fly anymore in their lives. Oh, wow. And they're going to take the train and, yep. um, and, 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 you know, vacation more locally. Sail away like Greta. They, exactly. You can't stand the idea. I mean, I always thought, wow, wouldn't it be cool to have a fast sailing ship across the ocean to go to Europe? And yeah. It'd be, the journey itself would be a wonderful vacation. Yeah, it would be phenomenal. I mean, being able to sail across the ocean, I would love that idea. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm trying to keep us on, on track with or on topic, I suppose. I could talk about, you know, carbon footprint in the larger landscapes um, for days and days. Um, when I was looking this up, one thing I found interesting, and you were mentioning um, what people can do in their homes, like solar. Um, and I think what we often disregard or sometimes don't think about is how trees in our outdoor landscapes can really affect our houses and how we heat them and how we cool them. Yes. Um, so. Right? Yeah, so plant plant deciduous trees around your house because they lose their leaves and the sun comes in and gives you a solar gain in the winter. Exactly. Or um, I used to live in Minnesing, and it was quite windy because it's all farmland down there. So a lot of people would plant evergreens along as windbreaks, exactly. Um, so which I think is, is almost something like people knew and did a long time ago. But then like as society's kind of, I want to use the word evolved, but have we devolved? <laughs> devolved. <laughs> We've forgotten that knowledge and we lean on to our creature tech tech comforts a little bit well, more. You see so many houses, in fact, 99% of houses are not so south facing mm -hmm. with their major windows and living areas. It's ridiculous. We build we build our buildings, our houses to, to, to face the road, regardless of where the sun's coming. It's so backwards. Yeah, that is so true. We... Um, our house by, I don't know if it was intentional or not, it was built in the 60s, is south facing. We have a big lovely window, the south window, and it is by far the thing that sold me on our house. Because I can have all my plants in the south window. It does, our house is not a warm house at all. It's you know heated with a wood stove, so it can get kind of cold when we forget to fill it. But on a sunny day, it's amazing how much that sun, that January sun, will heat our living room up. Yeah. And the cat loves it too, so. <laughs> well, I, I was doing a little Googling before our interview today, and 30% of the carbon we emit comes from food we eat. 
Oh, right. So I guess that means how it's produced locally, but more more so probably how much of it is imported from Chile and Australia and yes. California and Florida and stuff. So, I mean, we we should really, our food in this grocery store should be labeled the carbon content in each food item. Mm-hmm. And maybe the price should, and not maybe, definitely the price should be reflected. There should be a carbon charge on every piece of food, depending where it comes from. I think that's a phenomenal idea. And it's something that... Um, recently I was like, you know, personally aware of, it's like, do I need to eat this kiwi that literally flew in from New Zealand? Like you couldn't get any further in the world than New Zealand. Um, and why is it in our grocery store in Gravenhurst? It is quite ridiculous. And do I need to eat that? Probably not. I could find something else that's like sweet and um, has the same nutritional content as a kiwi. Um, And then, of course, even better is just growing it yourself in the garden. Indeed, that's 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 a joy that a lot of people have. And I've always had a garden, sometimes smaller, but for decades and decades. And you know, it's not that productive, but there's always things if you plant carefully. You get lots of lettuce and chard and carrots and. And, um, and and a few things like that. And it's just a joy. It's cathartic and it's therapeutic. Right. It, <laughs> the list it, goes on of yeah. the benefits of uh, growing a little bit of your own stuff. Yeah, it is. Um, you know, being out in the garden, I think there's, you know, tons and tons of research that shows how great it is for our mental health, our physical health. But it also connects us to that food system. Even touching the soil, sticking your hands oh, is, without gloves right into the soil yeah, is one of my favorite things. It is. That smell, actually, that's one of my, um, I guess, like sensory, like nostalgic, you know, it's so tied closely to scent, smells is soil. Um, being like a little kid or um, when I was younger working in greenhouses and just potting up plants, that smell of soil. Mm-hmm. Um, is is phenomenal that and coffee, but supposedly I've, I've never been this sophisticated. But people can smell good soil versus less good soil or smell types of soil. Have you ever heard of that? I haven't, but I would kind of believe it. You'd have to have a pretty good sense of smell. Um, that would be an interesting job. I feel like it would be like someone like a wine connoisseur could be a soil connoisseur out there sniffing soil the british say every child should eat a peck of dirt before they're 10 or before they're five yes from the soil you build up immunity to all the all the stuff in the soil yes i had an elementary school teacher that used to tell us that we'd eat a a a bucket of dirt a year (laughs) some of us more than others um, she was probably looking at me was saying that. But yeah, so I used to always think that. And I, my hands were always in the dirt as a kid. Yeah, yeah. But, well, uh, that's even like when you're washing, how rigorously do you wash your vegetables when you buy them at the store? Like lettuce has stuff on it. Yes. So do you like take soap and water and wash everyone or do you just eat the darn thing and yeah. <laughs> say, well, that'll make my meal more immune, uh, boost my immune system? Right. I remember buying celery once and it was organic and a little caterpillar was crawling out of the stem as the woman was scanning it through. And she's like, well, that there's better than a certification process because if it wasn't organic, obviously you're not going to get a caterpillar on it. Yes, that's fabulous. I'm not um, subscribed to one of those um, basket a week of vegetables. I think it's a great idea, but mm-hmm. I've never got around to it. But a lot of people do that, and that's always organic. The Good Food Co-op in Huntsville. Yes, yeah. Orchestrates a massive amount of um, good quality produces, produce as well. Yeah, and I love those ideas because the, the, the money goes directly to the farmer. 
right? So rather than getting like a fraction of it, it's they're getting more. And also they often invite the recipients to come onto the farm to volunteer and to get to know where their food comes from. Literally. Right, which is so important. A lot of people, I have a friend in Aurelia who goes out to her, her quote, organic farm regularly to help out and to put some put some sweat equity in and yeah. for vegetables. <laughs> this is one of the highlights of her week. Maybe I should do that for our place. <laughs> sweat equity for native plants. Um, well, I think we're out of time, Frank. So thank you very much for this lovely conversation about carbon footprints in the garden. Um, I learned a lot. Hopefully you guys did too. Um, and maybe we'll do this again. This has been a fantastic opportunity to Sounds chat with you. Thank you so much. All right, take care, everyone. Bye.